0: And Colossians 4:17 says, "Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord." So today, I'd like to speak to you about fulfilling your ministry. And as we kind of begin to discuss this, I want to give you some background information about this passage. The words that we just read were written by the Apostle Paul at the time that he wrote them. Uh, he was in prison. And this can be seen by some references in the same chapter, in Colossians 4, verse 3, and as well as verse 18, he refers to his chains. And in verse 10 of chapter 4, he also refers to a fellow prisoner by the name of Aristarchus. So Colossians is referred to commonly as one of Paul's prison epistles. And he was in the prison in Rome. It was his first Roman imprisonment. Apparently, this church that he wrote to was not one that he founded. If you read through the book of Acts, you won't find any account of him going to the city of Colossae. You will also uh, learn from the first chapter of this book, verse 7, that Colossians, the people of Colossae, learned the gospel from an individual by the name of Epaphras. But the church in Colossae had a problem. Now, I know nowadays churches don't have problems, but back then, when they were trying to get it together, there was a problem. And the church in Colossae had a problem. Their problem was doctrinal. There were some teachings that were going around which weren't entirely accurate, and scholars have not been able to say exactly what the error was, but it seems from what's written that they were buying into a certain sort of aberrant Jewish teaching and mysticism. And so Paul addresses these issues, and he does it, as one commentator has observed, by exalting the name of Jesus Christ, by lifting up Jesus. So the church as a whole has a significant need. Its spiritual health is being threatened by false doctrine. And let me just tell you here that bad belief eventually leads to bad behavior. There's a correlation between the two. And so doctrine is very important. Sometimes people say, well, can't we just love Jesus and not worry about what we believe? No, you can't. You have to believe what God has revealed about himself and his son. So Paul addresses this issue, and he exalts Jesus Christ. But as he is speaking to this church, which has a significant need because its spiritual health is being threatened, he also has time for individuals. He has specifically time to speak to a need in the life of a man named Archippus. Paul had time for the one, for the individual. Paul was a person, I think we would all agree, of great passion and great drive. He was the kind of person who could get things done. And one of the problems sometimes with people who have that type of personality or temperament is that while they're very good at getting things done, they're not very good at relating to people. But Paul was a person who could do both. If you read through the book of Romans and you get to the 16th chapter, you will know how many specific individuals he names by name and says, greet this one and greet that one and greet the other one. He was very much a people person. Now remember, as Paul is addressing the needs of this man named Archippus, Paul was in prison. Now be honest with yourself. If you were in prison and you were hundreds of miles away from a specific individual, would you be thinking about them and their needs? In all probability, you might be thinking, hey, I need to get out of this prison I'm in now. I need to get my own ministry back on track. I don't have time to be thinking about anybody else. But that was not Paul's mentality. Now, we don't know much about this individual by the name of Archippus. He's mentioned in our text and in the book of Philemon. And some people think he was the son of Philemon, other people think that he was a pastor. We can't say for sure, nobody knows with certainty. Paul refers to him in the book of Philemon as a fellow soldier. What we can say is that Paul knew this individual and he knew that this man had a call on his life for a specific work that God had called him to. One brother that I met almost 30 years ago made a statement that I have never forgotten even till this day. Speaking of Christians, he said, all of us have a call, some of us hear it. All of us have a call, some of us hear it. All Christians do have a call to ministry. It may not be to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher because Paul himself says in Ephesians chapter 4 that some are called to be apostles and some are called to be prophets and so on through the list. But every Christian is called to some type of service. Unfortunately, only some Christians hear the call and even of those who hear, only some respond in the way that God desires them to. You are here today as people called to ministry. You have a specific call for service. And it's different for each one of you. Some of you may be called to be, lead a visitation ministry. Or some might be called to help in a homeless ministry. Or some might be called to be part of a prayer ministry. And we could go on and on and on with the possibilities of what God could be calling to you, you to do. Now we do not know. What type of ministry Archippus was called to? We're not given any details about it. What we do know is that Archippus knew the work that he was called to, and Paul also knew. At this point, let's take some time and consider what we can learn from this verse. First, as individual believers, we can know what we're called to do. Archippus knew. You know, you might say, well, how can I know? There are a number of ways that God works to reveal his will concerning your life. One can be a very direct call like Paul's Damascus Road experience. Where God deals very dramatically with you and he tells you what you want to do. You can have an experience similar to this. Perhaps not as dramatic as Paul's, but no less divine. You know that you know that you know that God said, do this. Your ministry could be made known to you through a prophetic word. 1 Timothy 4.14 speaks about Timothy receiving a gift through a prophetic word when the elders laid their hands upon him. God communicates with us sometimes through other individuals in the body, and they tell you what you've been set apart for. Another way in which God extends his call to us is one which we might overlook, and it is the matter of our desires. Now, I know that this can be somewhat unreliable, but in First Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, Paul says, if anyone desires to be an overseer or desires to be a bishop, they desire a good thing. God can work through our desires. Pay attention to your desires. I remember hearing uh, Pentecostal New Testament scholar Gordon Fee share a story one time in which he said he was explaining to a person that was his advisor or his mentor about why he was not going to go to the mission field now, but he was going to give himself to be a professor or be involved in academics, and he was really stressing his case, and his mentor said to him, Gordon, just because you are for it doesn't mean that God's against it. Sometimes we have the idea that if we want to do something, God will say, No, you can't do that, do this, which is going to make you miserable. That's a very low view of God and the character of God. Now I know that the the whole idea of a subjective experience through our d- desires may not be uh, the most reliable at times, because frankly, our desires are not always the same as God's. Nonetheless, it is still a valid form of guidance. In addition, there's another way that God identifies what we're called to do, and that can be being identified to participate in a particular ministry by a spiritual leader. For example, Paul and Barnabas chose elders for the churches in Acts 14.23. Titus was commissioned by Paul to appoint elders on the island of Crete. These are all ways in which God leads his people. Now, this is the comfortable part. Of this text. But there is also an uncomfortable part of this text. And the uncomfortable part is that while you may know what you're called to do, others also know and are watching you. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of inventory takers, you know. Sometimes it's not a good inventory that we take. But there are people that are watching you, and they sense what God has placed in you. Now, most churches during the New Testament time period, in the days of the apostles, ranged in size in the congregation between 14 people and 80 people. They were not very large. Nowadays, people like to go to large churches because they get lost in the crowd. Just come in, enjoy the music, you know, meet a few friends and see you later with no commitment. Some people like that. In the New Testament, that possibility was almost non-existent. Unless you were traveling and just happened to stop in a city, met with a group of believers and were on your way. And when you attended church in the New Testament time period, you were a known entity. You were not going to get lost in the crowd in the congregational meetings that they had. Now, if the Christians in the church in Colossae were not aware that Archippus had received a calling to a specific work by the Lord, they they soon would be. This letter would have been read publicly in the church in Colossae. The verse before our text says... After this, letter, after this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So everybody's going to know, if they don't already know, that this guy has a ministry that he needs to get on with. How would you like that? You come to church and we, say, we have a letter from our beloved leader and he said all these good things and gave us instructions. And by the way, need to fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Now, if you were a Epaphras, who's mentioned a few verses earlier in Colossians 4, 12, and 13, that might be okay because he was commended. But if you were Archippus, that might not be so great. Now, when I was in high school, I had a geometry teacher who had a habit of giving us a test and grading the test, and then when it was done, At the end of the week, he would sit in the front of the class, and he would read off the grades aloud to the whole class. Like, Albanese, 87, Barchi, 92, Lathrop, 35, You you know, I mean, that was an incentive in a twisted sort of way to make you do better, and all my grades weren't 35, but there were a few that weren't too good. Ouch. From what Paul writes in this verse, it seems that Archippus was not doing too well in his ministry. He was not completing the work that he'd received in the Lord. Now, please note something here. Paul did not say he wasn't doing it. He said he wasn't completing it. Here again, we're not given all the details as to why he was not fulfilling his calling. It could have been due to any number of reasons. Could have been due to busyness. He could have become overly busy with the wrong things. Is there anybody here that doesn't have a busy life? I think in urban areas it's even worse, right? I mean, everything's a rush. We all have busy lives, and some seasons of our lives can be especially busy. And if we get busy with other things, even good things, ministry can suffer. The main things are no longer the main things. The apostles refused to do this in Acts chapter 6. Remember, there was a dispute about the widow's distribution. There was some complaint that people weren't being properly served and something needed to be done about it. And the apostles knew that something needed to, have, to be done about it, but they knew that they were not the ones to do it because it would take them away from the ministry of the word and prayer. Another reason that this individual may not have been doing his work, or another possibility for us, if we get off track, is laziness. Now, most people in ministry are not lazy. They're very zealous people, but eventually in our zeal, there comes a time where we become tired, and we need to be refreshed, and we need to have a rest or take a break, and that's a good thing. Remember in the Gospels, Jesus sent his disciples out on a tour of ministry, and when he came back, When they came back, he said to them, come apart and rest. And somebody said, if you don't come apart and rest, you just come apart. The problem comes when we take the rest and we get so taken up with that and enjoy it that we don't really want to get back to work. And so we have to be on our guard against that. Fear. This is another thing that can inhibit us. Or restrict our ministry. It's a common problem of the people of God. You ever notice that in the Bible? All these people that we think were great, and they were great, and God used them greatly, they were afraid. This is a common problem of the people of God. Sometimes it's our problem. Anybody ever had to deal with fear in relationship to ministry? We're afraid of people. We're afraid of, afraid of public speaking. We're afraid that there will not be enough money to fund the ministry. We're afraid that we're not good enough. We're afraid we're not called and our confidence is shot. And that's not all. There's the fear of rejection, the fear of hostility and opposition and persecution. And when we face resistance, it sometimes stops us in our track. It saps our strength. It wears us down and we don't want to deal with it. Fruitlessness. Sometimes people do not see the fruit of the ministry that they expected. And there can be a lot of different reasons for this. But it may be that they are really in a time of planting and watering, and they're disheartened because they're not in a period of reaping. The planting and the watering are important. It may not be as exciting as the reaping, but they are necessary to take place in advance and when we don't see results we can become disheartened and as a result lose passion and drive what's the use i've been doing this for three months six months nine months five years and i can't see hardly anything positive that's taken place so what am i going to do with it maybe i heard wrong Maybe I'm out of the will of God. Another one is nobody supports me. I'm the only one serving God. You know, Elijah had that too. I'm the only one. And God said, you better check your calculator because I know there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Nobody supports me and I'm not speaking about money here. I'm referring to the sense of being all alone. No one helps me with what I'm doing. No one prays for me. I'm in this all by myself with you. And frankly, I'm not really enjoying it at this point. All of these things can keep the servant of God from doing all that God has ordained for them. But whatever the circumstances in this particular man's life, from many miles away, and get a Bible map and look at where Colossae is and look at where Rome is and see how far apart they are, from many miles away, Paul writes and says, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Now, we may think that this is a rather embarrassing text, and few of us would like to have been in this man's shoes to have this read in church. And I understand that, but if that's what you're thinking, just bear with me a little bit longer because there are some positive aspects to this text that need to be considered. The fact that Paul writes this text indicates that though Archippus is in some way suffering or falling short with regard to his ministry, Paul has not given up on him. He does not say, listen, church, you know that ministry that Archippus was supposed to do? He was supposed to do that work and it was all set. And, you know, he had the call of God and he doesn't want to give it to somebody else. Because he's not what we thought he was. Well, that's not Paul's call Anyway. You have received this from the Lord, not from me. So in a sense, this admonition that we find is a vote of confidence. Archippus, you can do it. I believe in you. You know, when you read through the New Testament and the various epistles, there are a lot of instructions in them. You know, don't do this, do this those kind of instructions, there are all kinds of counsel that is given. And some of it at times seems a little bit harsh, but Paul's purposes in writing his letters are always redemptive. He is always seeking to attain positive results, the things that the Lord wills and wants for people's lives. This text is also evident that God has not given up on Archippus. Paul wrote this letter under divine inspiration. The Holy Spirit prompted Paul to write these words. It was so important for Archippus and for the people that he was meant to minister to, to get on with the work that the Lord had granted him, that the Lord gave him time in heaven. The Holy Spirit spoke to Paul so that Paul could speak in this letter to Archippus through the letter. And so in this verse, the Lord is urging Archippus on. Now, note that the verse says, tell Archippus. The message is being communicated initially in Paul's letter, but he urges the members of the church in Colossae to say this to Archippus as well. So Archippus is going to receive multiple encouragements to complete the work that he has received from the Lord. One of the lessons that we can learn from this verse is that there are times in which we need other people in the community to spur us on, to reach our potential in God. God did not create us to be Lone Ranger believers, superstars on our own, but rather to be people who are connected to a community, and these people help us to reach our potential. We need people to encourage us and remind us of what we are made for, what God has called us to, and what he has gifted us to do. One of the greatest needs we have as human beings, and even as Christian human beings, is to have somebody believe in us. How far do we go if we feel that nobody believes in us? All have turned their backs. No one gives affirmation. No one gives support. We all have a need to know that somebody cares about us and somebody believes in us. And this is one of the functions of the church. Hebrews 10.24 tells us that we are to consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. As someone has written, none of us can reach our potential alone. I mean, look at the people, even the people in the Bible that you admire. Moses had Aaron and Hur, David had Jonathan, Paul had Barnabas, and Timothy had Paul. Archippus was a steward. He had received a sacred trust from the Lord, and the same holds true for each one of us. We have been given a gift or multiple gifts, and we have a responsibility to exercise those gifts for the glory of God and the coming of his kingdom. Words of our text urge archivists to be faithful. There's a Christian characteristic that we're really not too keen on in a sense. You want to prophesy? Oh, yeah, I want to prophesy. You want to heal the sick and raise I wanna do that. How about being (laughs) faithful? I mean it's good and it's Bible, but it's not exciting. We need to be faithful. We need to be accountable. The Lord requires it of us. And we know that sometimes it's helpful for us to be accountable to people in order for us to really be accountable to the Lord. We can see each other. We can't see God with our eyes. If I know that I'm going to go into a group of people or see another person and answer questions and be accountable or be asked... I'm probably going to get my act together because I'm going to see a physical body. I'm going to hear a human voice. There's going to be an exchange that's very concrete. And that sometimes is a helpful dynamic in moving us along. We need to help one another be all that we can be, all that God intends us to be. Maybe at the end of this meeting, you'll sense a need to go to one of your leaders and say, I'm struggling. I need some help to stay on course with my ministry. Would you help me? Now, I'm not talking about a sin issue here. You know, sometimes we have to confess our sins one to another so we can pray for one another and we can be healed or restored. And, and oh, that's James chapter 5. We can't argue with that. But sometimes in regard to ministry, we need the counsel of others to help us to get to the place where we really need to be. Would you help me? Would you pray for me? Would you counsel with me? Would you give me some practical insights and ways to step forward? Would you periodically ask me what I'm doing? Would you speak into my life and give me some uh, insight that maybe I'm not seeing because I'm too close to the situation or I'm blinded by my circumstances or there's something that's just blocking me and I don't have the perspective that I need in order to do what I need to do? Sharing with fellow believers should be a safe place. However, it's not always so. One time there was a a guest speaker who came through school when I was in uh, Bible Institute, and he said there's two kinds of people involved in counseling, those who want to heal your hurt and those that want to know your dirt. (laughs) And you need to use wisdom. But it should be a safe place to be sharing with brothers and sisters in Christ. And it will be a safe place as long as the glory of God and the good of the person are the primary motivations. If God has placed a call on your life for ministry, and he has, be assured of that. Then it can be accomplished. That's the good news. Our text indicates that it can be done. The instruction to complete the work indicates that it can be done. Whom God calls, he qualifies. God is for us. Together, we can make it. We can do all that God has designed us to do. Now, there are some ministries that are for a season of our lives. It might be for three months or six months or nine months, a year, five years. There's a a short window of opportunity or a time frame. And once you've completed them, then the Lord may move you on to something else. But there are other ministries that are lifelong ministries. For example, Paul's apostolic calling. Sometimes people carry on multiple ministries. Paul, for example, was an apostle and also a teacher. Silas was an apostle and a prophet. Whatever calling you have, for however long you have it, be faithful. That's what God wants you to be. And it may not be an easy place. To use other words of the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 12, verse 11, he writes, Never be lagging in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Why would Paul write that? Because there's a need. In another place, he tells us not to be weary in well-doing, but to know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. He writes these things because there's a tendency for those the negative things to happen. Fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Let me encourage you today. I'm probably one of the oldest people in the room. <laughs> you don't have to be too old <laughs> around here. <laughs> While you are young, determine in your heart that you will start young to be faithful and give as much as you can throughout your life. That you'll be a person of maximum impact, not just because you'll appear before the judgment seat of Christ one day to answer for what you did or didn't do, not for sin judgment, but for uh, rewards based on service or lack of rewards, don't do it just because of that, but be faithful because you need to be a difference maker. You make a difference in the world, make a difference in some person's life for eternity, that our lives will be meaningful, that it will matter that we have lived, that the world has somehow become a better place because we've been here. Be the kind of person, I know that you're all familiar with Joe and he had something uh, the last couple of weeks on Facebook It was like a a little poster, and it said, because of you, I didn't give up. Let us be a person like that, a Barnabas, that encourage others so that they don't give up. Let us purpose to hold up one another's hands that the church might move forward in power. We have the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. We have been given the essentials, the things that are necessary in order for success to take place. If you're going through a tough time right now ministry-wise, I want to encourage you that it will pass. Not as fast as you like, but it will pass. And I want you to be renewed and refreshed as we leave today, strengthened with a vision of encouragement from God today that he is for us, not against us. He is the great encourager. I'm going to turn the service back over to John and you need to go to the Lord, who is the great encourager, to encourage his people today.